Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Good to be with you on this Monday summer morning. Uh, and uh, I am very excited today that we have uh, on the line with us one of Israel's most prolific journalists and non-fiction writers. He is Yossi Klein Halevi and uh, he is a writer of several books including Memoirs of a Jewish Extremist at the Entrance to the Garden of Eden, Like Dreamers and Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor as well as a number of other uh, interesting works uh, from a journalistic perspective which you can read uh, in a variety of uh, both Israeli and international uh, newspapers and uh, he he does a lot of work around topics of religion uh, of engagement uh, and he also works at the Shalom Hartman Institute's Muslim Leadership Initiative so uh, it's a real uh, pleasure to have him uh, on the show Yossi thanks so much for joining us on Chai FM. Oh thanks for having me Benji. Uh, I'd actually like to start off by asking you a question not related to any of your books. Uh, you you wrote a piece recently when you where you spoke about the successful uh, response by the British Jewish community to the rise of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and uh, I, I want to ask you, do you think that the Jewish world is finally starting to get its act together with regards to combating anti-Semitism, uh, say, post the Durban Racism Conference? Well, I would make a distinction between most of the Jewish world and the American Jewish community, which is uh, really its own universe. Uh, you know, in, uh, in Israel, we often speak about a diaspora Israel crisis. Uh, and the truth is, there is no diaspora Israel crisis. There's an American Jewish Israeli crisis. Uh, as far as I can see, the rest of the diaspora uh, remains intimately connected with Israel, uh, has not uh, uh, lessened uh, in, its, in its love and support an appreciation for what Israel means to the Jewish people historically, politically, spiritually. Um, the, the, the crisis is really happening in, in part of the American Jewish community and particularly the progressive part of American Jewry. And, uh, and there, to answer your question, I, I don't yet see a real awakening. Uh, I, I, I see a very unfortunate tendency to continue uh, playing politics with anti-Semitism. In other words, the, the, the anti-Semitism that, uh, that I'm opposed to is anti-Semitism that comes from the other political camp, not from mine. Uh, now, to some extent, one can also see this on the American Jewish right, where there's a tendency to, to gloss over, uh, certainly some of the, the, uh, outrageous offenses of, uh, President Trump and, and what he's done to to poison discourse and how that's affected uh, minorities generally and also the American Jewish community. Uh, but the the, the 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 tendency that really worries me uh, in terms of giving anti-Semitism a pass uh, if it comes from your own community is what I see happening uh, on the American Jewish side. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting, and I, your point in the article is that first things first when it comes to combating anti-Semitism is that all the Jews have kind of got to be on side, and, and I think you're correct when you're saying uh, that the Americans haven't quite got that right yet. And and yet, what's interesting is that the Americans provided the leadership on this issue in the 90s, uh, and before that, you make the point with the Soviet jury campaign. Do you think that we've forgotten some of those lessons? Yeah, well, you know what what really struck me uh, about the the uh, about the anti Corbyn campaign uh, in uh, in in Britain, uh, the 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 ability of the Jews to to come together overwhelmingly from Haredim to 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 the secular left uh, was really the the echo of uh, of the the heyday of the Soviet Jewry movement, which did succeed in uniting. Uh, much of of the Jewish people, not all, you know, um, the the most of the Haredi world actually uh, remained outside uh, of the, uh, the the parameters of the, the Soviet Jewish struggle, and uh, that was very painful for me growing up in New York and as, as a as a young activist for Soviet Jewry and and seeing the the important Haredi community. Uh, Really stepping aside, uh, with the exception of Chabad. Uh, Chabad was not involved in the Soviet Jewry protest movement, but it had its own significant parallel uh, movement uh, in the Soviet Union itself. Chabad was running a, a, an extraordinary Jewish underground that really helped save Soviet Jewry. And so, so my my critique of the uh, Haredi world in the in, in those years, in the 1970s, 80s. Uh, really uh, excludes Chabad. But what, what so much impressed me about about agro-jewelry was its ability to to draw the line and to unite uh, almost the entirety of of that very disparate uh, community. And 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 that's something that uh, that I think uh, needs to be relearned, uh, certainly in the American Jewish community. Now, you know, you mentioned the Jewish right as well, uh, and, and that is a tradition that you come from. Uh, you, you, know, you were uh, a, a follower of Kahana in your, in your teenage years. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested uh, to, to hear your view on, do you think that that form of activism, that uh, approach to uh, Jewish uh, activism is making a bit of a comeback, uh, particularly you see some of these parties in Israel, uh, even in America. I, is there a resurgence, do you think, of, of that kind of thinking? Well, let, let, let's, let's make a distinction between what the Kahana movement was when I joined as a teenager in the late 1960s uh, and uh, what it evolved into, or I, I, rather I should say what it devolved into. Uh, the, 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 the Kahana movement, uh, in those early years really focused on protecting the lives of Jews in ch- what were euphemistically called changing neighborhoods in, in, in the U.S. Uh, Jews who were left behind as, uh, as most of the Jewish community fled to the suburbs, uh, uh or, uh, protecting the Jews of the Soviet Union. Now I have my, my critique of the methods that we used in those years, I think that uh, that uh, we were right in uh, in pushing the envelope, uh, certainly in civil disobedience, uh, in 
in, in some limited uh, acts of what I would call symbolic violence, um, pushing against police barricades, uh, that kind of thing, which were really uh, relatively harmless. But uh, some parts of the Jewish Defense League, the JDL, Kahana's his first iteration, uh, went into terrorism even then, even in the early 1970s. And there were casualties. There, were, there, were, there was a young woman, a Jewish woman, who was killed in a, um, in a JDL attack. And so, so I, I think it's important, even, even when we speak about those years, uh, not to romanticize, which, which I uh, once had a tendency to do. Uh, certainly the, the, the Kahana movement, as we came to know it in Israel, uh, turned into, I would say, the most vile uh, political movements uh, on the Jewish map, and that became a, an, an overtly racist, uh, an overtly terrorist uh, group that uh, has uh, has blood on its hands and has coarsened Israeli discourse and part of diaspora discourse as well. So, so I, I, uh, I have no, no, no attachment. No emotional attachment, no longing for uh, for that form of activism. My question, though, is: Do you think that we're seeing a, a sort of a revival in that sector of of, of politics? Sometimes, just for opportunistic reasons, uh, to get extra votes in the Knesset or, or, or to try and make a point, or is it still a yeah, fringe phenomenon? Look, you know the the. <laughs> The violence and the, the siege against Israel, the, the, the anti-Israel violence, the, 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 the war against Israel's legitimacy, against Israel's existence, has been going on now for, for a hundred years. Uh, it predated the creation of the state by decades. And understandably, some among us are cracking. Some among us are looking for, for easy solutions. And there are no easy solutions. That's one of the things that I've learned in the nearly 40 years that I've lived in Israel. Uh, easy solutions are very tempting, whether they come from the right or the left. And, and to my mind, uh, both left and right, in some sense, belong uh, in the same camp, in the same category uh, as the camp of easy solutions. Uh, oh, why don't you just withdraw from the territories, create a Palestinian state, and live happily ever after? Well, what happens if we withdraw from from the West Bank, Judean, Samaria, and the next year uh, Hamas takes over, and God forbid there are missiles falling uh, on uh, Tel Aviv? Uh, that is not a far-fetched scenario. In fact, I think that's a, that's a more likely than not scenario to happen if Israel were to uh, abruptly withdraw from from the territories. Uh, and so the the solution uh, of that the left proposes. Uh, is in its way as, as simplistic as the solution of the right. And by the solution of the right, I mean the right in its various shades. The most extreme right, of course, is, well, let's just throw them out and be done with it. Well, this is the 21st century. Israel aspires to being a, a member in good standing, a reasonably good standing, of the club of, of, uh, of democracy. And uh, if uh, if we were to to unilaterally expel uh, 
several million Palestinians from their homes, we would become a pariah state. And we are far from being a pariah state now. The great failure of the the effort to isolate and demonize Israel was, was on full display last week uh, when uh, you had dozens of world leaders coming to Jerusalem. It was the largest gathering of, uh, of world leaders uh, in, in the history, in the history of Jerusalem. Extraordinary achievement. And so the, the tendency on the far right to portray us as, as more besieged and embattled than we actually are, and I don't minimize the siege, but nevertheless, we need to have some, some proportion here. And so those who are, are, are looking for, for quick fix solutions, uh, in the end are being tempted by, by apocalyptic scenarios that will lead either, again, either on the left or the right to, uh, to disaster. Talking today to author and journalist Yossi Klein Halevi. Yossi, one of the books that you've written quite recently is uh, Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor, uh, which is about essentially the, an attempt to explain Zionism to, to Palestinians and, and to, to the Arab world. And, and I'm interested in, in actually what you're saying about quick fixes and ideas about peace. I mean, if, if you were writing the book again at the moment and you had to write a, an, another letter around solutions, do we have to write another uh, a letter about the, the, the Trump peace plan? Uh, and, and if so, what no, do we have to say? No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, 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 I debated whether, whether to even write a, an op-ed about it and, uh, <laughs> and so far decided not to. I, I, I think that, that, uh, the, the Trump plan is most likely stillborn. Uh, it is nevertheless, uh, an instructive moment, I would say, uh, one for the Palestinians and one for us. Uh, the, what uh, the takeaway for Palestinians should be that uh, when you reject one peace plan after another, as Palestinian leaders have been doing, uh, not only since 1947, the UN partition plan, but going back to the Peel Commission in 1937, which would have given the Palestinians 80% of the land. Uh, and then if you look at the trajectory of, uh, of offers from the Peel Commission to Trump, you'll see a, uh, a very interesting uh, phenomenon, which is that the arrow is always going down. In other words, every rejection leads to a shrinking of the map that's being offered in the next version of, uh, of a peace plan until we come to uh, from 80% to uh, to up from 80% of the entirety of the land to only 70% of the West Bank. And so what we, what we, what we're seeing really is, is I think a very clear message to the Palestinian leadership, which is that time is not necessarily on your side. And maybe it's time for the Palestinians to come up uh, with their own version of a, of a peace plan. There has never been in the history of this conflict a Palestinian peace plan. And that to me is, is simply extraordinary. Now, the takeaway for us, on our side, uh, is something that we've just seen playing out in the last couple of days. Netanyahu announces we're going to rush through annexation, which of course happens to neatly coincide with his uh, election needs. And, and that kind of 
cynical way in which you're using the land of Israel for 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 your 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 own selfish electoral goal uh, is is to me appalling. But that's that's an aside. The 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 attempt by Netanyahu to to announce annexation of the settlements uh, only to be unceremoniously <laughs> rebuked uh, by the Trump administration. Uh, I think uh, also shows us something of the limits of power and uh, and the need for us to still play by the rules of the international community. We're not we're not an island, and uh, we can't go it alone, and the Palestinians can't go it alone. Talking today to Yossi Klein Halevi, author and journalist from uh, Israel and Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to take a short break, break, and we'll be back just after this. Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music, and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off-the-wall and outrageous, and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. Talking today to Yossi Klein Halevi on 101.9 High FM, the new Blue Review. I am Benji Shulman. Welcome back to the show. Yossi, also on your book with, uh, with the, the, with the Palestinian neighbors, I was very interested where you made a comment in another interview saying that you couldn't get a publisher for this book because, uh, the publishers in America wanted a Palestinian partner, uh, already kind of built into, to the program. And it's sort of, it sort of suggested to me that that your book was kind of like its own little peace process, that uh, you were struggling to find a partner as well, uh, and that it was only once you had articulated your view that, that you actually got uh, some responses and could actually start a conversation. Yes, yes, and, and it's, it's very interesting because uh, I wrote this book as, a, uh, as an attempt to actually uh, renew my own personal engagement with Palestinians, which had been largely suspended since the second intifada of the early 2000s. Uh, in the 90s, I went on a journey into Palestinian society, into Palestinian uh, Islam and Christianity, and wrote a book about it uh, called it The Entrance to the Garden of Eden. And then the second intifada happened, and I simply opted out and said, that's it. You know, we really tried to make peace uh, at Camp David in July 2000, accepting Clinton proposals six months later. And what we got back was the worst wave of terrorism in Israel's history. And, and you can't understand the rightward turn of Israeli society without understanding the devastating impact of the Second Intifada on the Israeli psyche. And again, it wasn't only the outbreak of the worst wave of terrorism in our history, but it's the fact that this four years of suicide bombings immediately followed our offer to create a Palestinian state. And so like most Israelis, uh, including Israelis uh, like myself, who were deeply committed to a two-state solution, I basically gave up. And so, many years later, I, I decided to to renew my conversation uh, with my Palestinian neighbors, but on a different basis. Uh, my previous book that I had mentioned, where I that described my journey into Palestinian society, was really an attempt uh, for me to learn and listen to the Palestinian narrative. And this book was an attempt to explain the Zionist narrative to Palestinians and to, and to any, anyone else in the Middle East who would eavesdrop. 
uh, and uh, and parenthetically to to young people, uh, especially young young Jews. This was very much in my mind that this was an attempt to try to give a language to young Jews about how to speak with with integrity about the Zionist narrative without apology, and at the same time combining that with empathy for Palestinian suffering. Not apologizing, not giving up our narrative, affirming our Zionist narrative, but being willing and 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 open to hearing the Palestinian side. And so I wrote, I, I, I tried to get this book published, and it took two years. I, every publisher uh, that I approached in the U.S. Uh, turned the book down. And as you, you mentioned, they all said basically the same thing. Find a Palestinian interlocutor and uh, do an exchange of letters and we'll publish the book. And, and my response was, that would feel dishonest to me because I'm not yet in a dialogue with Palestinians. And the other reason that I said to them was, look, the Zionist narrative is being erased in large parts of public discourse. Certainly in the progressive world, uh, it is increasingly hard to make a case for Zionism. And so I felt this desperate need for a book. And it's a short book. And that's, that was also a deliberate decision. I wanted a short book that a young person could put in his or her backpack. And something that you read and that will, will conceptualize a new way of understanding this conflict. And so I insisted on, on the first uh, edition of the book only being letters to my Palestinian neighbor. Now, that, that edition was translated into Arabic, and I put it online for free downloading in Arabic. And I received hundreds of responses. And the next edition of the book, which is the paperback edition, uh, now includes a, a 50-page epilogue of Palestinian responses. And so the book now models exactly what I hoped would happen, but had no idea if it really would, uh, and that is a respectful, deep disagreement between an Israeli narrative and Palestinian narrative. And that, I hope, will be useful. I hope it will be useful for Jews in South Africa, because I, I, I'm, I'm keenly aware uh, of what uh, you guys are up against. Uh, I, I follow the news from the Jewish community in South Africa, not perhaps as closely as I should, but I am aware of uh, the heroic struggle that, uh, that South African Jews are, are waging uh, to, to uphold the, the integrity of, uh, of our story. And I know that South Africa is really one of the front lines in the struggle. And I, I'm, that's why when I, when I got the, when, when, when your, when your, your program called me, Benji, I was really happy to, to, uh, to be invited for this conversation. Well, I mean, not as happy as we were to have you come back so quickly to us, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's really great that you, that you got responses, uh, cause I think that that's often in this discussion, uh, something which you don't get, you know, the, the most dangerous thing about BDS is the silence. Uh, but, but were you surprised by the kind of responses? Were you, were you happy? Uh, was it, was, 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 well, was it a good dialogue? Well, look, there was, there was, uh, you know, look, as you can imagine, there was a wide range of responses. Most of the responses that I got from Palestinians were negative. Uh, many were 
extremely negative to abusive to some threat. And those responses, of course, uh, I did not include in the book, although in my new introduction, I, 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 I let the reader know that there were many of those responses. So I think it's important for the reader to understand the wider context of what, of how this conversation plays out. Uh, what, what, um, what really did surprise me, uh, were the more thoughtful responses that I received. Uh, from Palestinians and also from some people around the Arab world, especially Saudi Arabia. I've, I've gotten some really powerful and moving letters from Saudis. I got a, a, an email not long ago from a, a Saudi sheikh, a religious leader, writing that he never knew that uh, the Jews and the Hebrews were the same. And so, of course, you're indigenous to this land, in this region. And um, I've gotten wonderful responses from Syrian refugees living in Europe, in, in Canada. And, um, and the Palestinian responses, of course, were more complicated. But I, I, the letters that I chose to publish uh, in response to, to my book were, were letters that were prepared to engage with me on the, base, on the book's basic premise which is that this, the tragedy of this conflict is not that it's right versus wrong, but that it's right versus right. And that these are two indigenous peoples fighting over the same little tortured piece of land. And just as, as Palestinians can make a case from their perspective, from their narrative, why all of the land from the river of the sea belongs to them, I can make what I believe is a very compelling case about why all of the land from the river to the sea belongs to me. And I do believe that from the river to the sea, it is all the land of Israel. It is not occupied territory. We are occupying the Palestinians, but I don't believe that we are an occupier in any part of that land. And that land for me is not the West Bank, and it's certainly not occupied territory. It's Judea and Samaria, as it is, I think, for most Israelis. But that doesn't mean that I can have all everything that belongs to me by right, or that it's wise for me to claim, to, to try to implement my claim uh, to everything that belongs to me by right. Just as in, my, in, in, in our own personal lives, you can't get everything that you want or everything that really in principle belongs to you. You have to make compromises. Uh, so too here, and, and, and I, I can't emphasize enough how painful a two-state solution is for me. It is an almost unbearable compromise. And yet, the only reason that I'm willing to entertain that is because the alternative is worse. The alternative means uh, a binational state in which we lose either our Jewish majority and our Jewish, the Jewish, the Jewishness of the state or the state as a, as, as a democracy. And, and to lose either of those non-negotiable identities that are built into the foundation of Israel uh, to my mind, it would be, God forbid, the death of Israel as we know it. And so, the late Brera, as we say, would, would, for, for, without, without, I feel I have no alternative but to try to figure out a way of, uh, of extricating ourselves from this, 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 this impossible situation. And, 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 and the profound moral dilemmas that this, that, that occupying another people uh, presents 
for us as a as a people that that for centuries identified ourselves as Rahmanim b'nei Rahmanim, merciful children of merciful parents. That was almost, you know, we asked the question, who is a Jew? The answer that Jews traditionally gave was merciful children of merciful parents. And yet there's, and, 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 and what, what, what is eating away at the foundations of, of, of Jewish compassion is this long-term occupation. So I see that as a, as a disaster for us. I see it as a disaster that was thrust on us, a disaster that we had no choice but to fall into because we were fighting in 1967 a war of survival. And we have never had a credible partner among the Palestinian leaders. To this day, we don't have a credible partner. And that includes the Palestinian Authority as well as Kurdish. It's come out. So I don't blame us for being in this situation. Where I do blame us for is in, is, is, is in taking, falling into the temptation of what the right calls the complete land of Israel, the whole, the whole land of Israel. And, and I love the whole land of Israel. And as I, as I said a moment ago, it's ours. It's ours in principle. I don't believe that we can have all of it and still be the kind of country that we would be proud of. You see, I'm listening to you and and sort of hearing what you're saying and and your perspective and and also looking at your your life as a a writer and activist. You spend some time uh, at the the Shalem Institute, which is kind of known as more of a nationalistic sort of uh, uh, place. And now you're at the Shalom Hartman Institute, which is kind of more liberal. I mean, you you write letters to Palestinians. We'll speak a little bit about your engagement with Muslims, I hope, later on. Uh, do you see yourself as this kind of tradition of the right-winger who's who's looking for a peaceful solution, of, of which there is a, a tradition in, in Israel? <laughs> yeah, I would say that at Shalem, I was the resident left-winger, and at Hartman, I, I'm the resident right-winger. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't change my position. I just moved a few a few blocks in uh, in the German colony in Jerusalem uh, from Shalem to Hartman. I just moved my, my office <laughs> a few blocks, and suddenly I went from being uh, Shalem's left-winger to Hartman's right-winger. And, uh, and so, you know, I... I'm, I am very much what I have been pretty much since moving to Israel uh, in the early 80s, uh, and that is a centrist. And being a centrist in Israel in those years, the 80s, the 90s, was a very lonely position because the country was so polarized between the right and the left, and the right knew exactly what the solution needs to be, we need to. We need to settle and settle more. We need to stake our claim. We need what, whatever can't be solved with power can be solved with more power. And that's actually a, there's a Hebrew saying like that. <laughs> and, uh, and on the left, you know, it was almost the mirror image. Whatever can't be solved with more territorial, uh, withdrawal, uh, can be solved with even more territorial withdrawal. Uh, and so, uh, being a centrist, uh, made sense to me because, you know, when I would listen to left-wingers, Israeli left-wingers, uh, and they would say, 
what are we going to do with millions of Palestinians? How, how, we can't have the land without the people who are on the land. What's the solution there? And I listened to that as a, as a kind of an open-minded, uh, innocent new immigrant. And I said, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And then I would go to friends, uh, I'd go to Shabbat on, on, on settlements where friends of mine who had moved from the States around the time I did and moved to settlements. And, uh, and they would say, well, you know, <laughs> How do you make peace with a Palestinian national movement that uh, doesn't even recognize our most basic right to exist? You know, this is the only conflict on the planet where where one side doesn't recognize the legitimacy of the other side's existence. And the big concession that we need to negotiate for with the other side is, will you, at the end of this process, accept our right to exist? Now, the right to exist, it should be built into the process itself. You don't negotiate with someone if you don't recognize their right, their right to exist. And so I listened to, to the right, and I said, well, yeah, you know, sure, that makes a lot of sense. And so if we, if we couldn't occupy the Palestinians and we couldn't make peace with them, my conclusion was, well, I, I, I can't choose between the left and the right. I, I need to be in that kind of a holding position where I need to be realistic, ruthlessly realistic. And I would say that my insistence on realism, of looking at the reality of the Jewish people without ideological blinders, either either the tempting uh, the temptations of the left or the temptations of the right, is really something that I learned from my father, who was a Holocaust survivor. And and what my father taught me, his takeaway, was that one of the reasons that the Holocaust happened in, in the scope that it did. One of the reasons why we were so unprepared as a people is because we we, we were susceptible to wishful thinking. Uh, and my father's great takeaway was always look at reality in the eye. And so I've tried to apply that to Israel's dilemma uh, with the Palestinians, where where the left is correct that we can't occupy and the right is correct that we can't make peace. And so what that means to me is that we need to continue to hold open the option for extricating ourselves from from this tragic long-term occupation of another people, uh, while at the same time being, being relentlessly aware of uh first of all of the region that we're that we're in, the volcano that we're living under. Uh and uh and the fact that we don't have a credible peace partner. But that means that that the, the fact that we don't have a credible peace partner today does not absolve us from from refraining from steps that will that will immeasurably complicate our ability to extricate ourselves in the future. And I'm speaking specifically about expanding settlements. We're listening to 101.9 Chai FM, or at least you are, uh, and uh, we're talking to Yossi Klein Halevi today, uh, author and journalist. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music, and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off-the-wall and outrageous, and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 Chai FM. 
You're back with 101.9 High FM talking today to Yossi Klein Halevi, uh, author and journalist from Israel. Uh, Yossi, I want to move off the politics for a second uh, because although that's you know often hard to do in the Middle East, particularly with the next question I'm going to ask, and just talk about your work uh, with the, with Muslim leaders from from North America. Uh, one of the things that strikes me sometimes about the way that interfaith gets done is that you have often people who are from a Muslim background or from a Jewish background and they, they get together to discuss uh, interfaith. And, and often what, what you really have is two atheists who are, who are sort of keeping religion out the discussion uh, and, and, and having a nationalistic discussion. Uh, I mean, is that something that you find with, with your work or, 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 or can religion and religious people actually play a positive role here? So I, um, I would say that the, the program that I co-direct at the Hartman Institute, which is called the Muslim Leadership Initiative, uh, and my, I co-direct it with uh, Imam Abdullah Antepli, who is a Turkish-born uh, American imam uh, who heads um, Muslim studies at Duke University in the States. And, um, and we don't do what Abdullah calls uh, homos interface. We don't do nice interfaith. Uh, the the project is uh, is first of all an educational initiative, where we bring Muslim American leaders to Hartman in Jerusalem to study Judaism, Israel, the conflict, Zionism, and we've now uh, gone through seven cohorts. We've we've had over a hundred people go through the program, and these are young emerging top. Uh, leaders, future leaders in the Muslim American community, writers, journalists, uh, some religious leaders, uh, really a fantastic group of people, uh, university chaplains. And what we try to, to, to do in the program is we don't sell anything. We don't sell Israeli policies. We don't sell Zionism. We try to we teach how Jews understand themselves how Jews understand their own identity or identities, because the Hartman Institute is a pluralistic Jewish institution. And we, we expose uh, our Muslim students to the uh, wide uh, range of, of uh, Jewish identities, uh, denominations, self-understanding. And we try to get them, we, we try to draw them into uh, an internal Jewish conversation. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the, the, the main obstacles that it, I have learned that Muslims have with understanding uh, Zionism and the centrality of Israel in, in Jewish identity and Jewish religious identity, that Zionism is not just a, a secular phenomenon, but is for many of us as, as religious Jews a an integral part of our, of our, of our Judaism. Uh, what they don't understand is that Judaism works a little bit differently than other monotheistic faiths. Uh, Judaism is a particularist faith, uh, unlike Islam and Christianity, which are universal faiths, which imagine, uh, at the end of days, the entire world being remade in their literal, uh, image. Uh, we don't expect the whole world to become Jewish. Uh, we see ourselves as, as a faith that was given to a particular people, and this people has a has a job to do for God in, in history. Now, now what that means is that peoplehood for Judaism is not a secular category. 
nationhood, nationalism is not a secular identity. It is a religious category. It is a sacred category. It is the, 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 the essential means through which Judaism is expressed in this world. And so that's what we try to teach, among other things. That's what we try to teach uh, in this program. And, and, and one of the things that, that, that always blows, blows them away, blows our students away, uh, is uh, when we play out the meaning of the strange phenomenon known as the Jewish atheist. Now, we take, Jews take for granted the fact that you could be Jewish and, and, and be an atheist. But if you're Muslim or Christian, you can't be an atheist and still call yourself a Christian or a Muslim. You're, 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 you're out of the game as soon as you, 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 you embrace atheism as, as your counter dogma. Now, we know that in Judaism it works differently because we are a people with a particular religious identity. And certainly in, in, in modern times, and I would argue especially in the last uh, 70 or so years since the Shoah and the emergence of the State of Israel, people have become the, the have moved into the foreground. It is the, the, the last uniting framework for the Jewish people, and, and in that sense, it has become even more precious. And so to really answer your, your question about uh, religion, the role of religion in, in interfaith, you're absolutely right that, that so much of what passes for interfaith is actually uh, uh, inter-non-faith. Uh, and uh, interfaith means people sitting down who take their religion seriously, uh, many, you know, what, what you'll often hear in, uh, in interfaith, uh, in Jewish Muslim interfaith from the Muslim side is, okay, let's talk about religion. Let's leave politics aside, by which they mean Israel Zionism. And of course, our response is, well, Israel and Zionism are actually part of our religious story. And so that becomes, I would say, the, the, the point at, at which students of our program begin to understand how little they really understand about Judaism. And, and it's, I mean, it's interest, an interesting phenomenon, I think, that you're, you're able to get North American Muslims to, to come because I feel like having lived under democratic conditions for, for a long time, uh, they sort of have a, an advantage over the, some of their counterparts in uh, even in Europe, where where you know there's still this uh, kind of oppressive culture of of, of the outsider, uh, America is still uh, you know this open society, and and yet they still you know there's there's still this uh, uncomfortableness around what America represents, and uh, particularly in connection to Israel. So, I mean, do you find that that people are are, are able to grapple with that, go back, uh, engage with with the, with their own communities? The the tendency was much more positive and hopeful before the rise of Trump. Uh, well, we started this program in 2013, and there was tremendous pushback immediately in, in large parts of the Muslim American community, but there was also a, a, a receptivity uh, in other parts of the Muslim American community, which, which really gave us a sense of, of hope that, that eventually this program, this approach, to, to Muslim-Jewish dialogue uh, can take deep root 
uh, in the Muslim American community. And the, what the rise of Trump has done is polarize American discourse to such an extent that certainly uh, American Muslims who, who understandably feel besieged by their own government since, since, since Trump came to office, uh, there's, there's a growing tendency to suppress uh, internal uh, dissent and to uh, draw the wagons. And, uh, and that has had a, a, uh, a negative impact on, uh, on our program. Uh, and, and we are much, uh, there's, there's much less public tolerance in Muslim American spaces for, for our program than, uh, than there, than there was, uh, before the rise of Trump. Now, that said, uh, we have no problem recruiting front rank, uh, participants for the program. And, uh, the quality of anything of, uh, of our cohorts is, uh, is growing from year to year. And what's really gratifying is to see the active recruitment that's, that's happening from one cohort to the next. Uh, in Hebrew, we have an expression, chaver mevi chaver, a friend, a friend brings a friend. Uh, and that's really what's been happening in the program, which is, I think, a, a, an affirmation of the educational credibility of what we're doing and the fact that uh, our participants who are deeply pro-Palestinian and deeply engaged with the Palestinian issue, they were before they came into the program, many of them, and many of them remain so. Uh, but at the same time, I would say that our graduates, or most of them, uh, have developed the capacity for, for some nuance and, uh, and even empathy with, um, with, with, with our identity. Uh, just before we end the program, are you working on anything new? Uh, anything else that's, uh, that, that, that people can look forward to who are fans of your work? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm working on a book called, uh, The, uh, The Wisdom of Survival, which is an attempt to look at what happened to the Jewish people in the 20th century and what we need to learn from the 20th century and the 21st century. It's really about the meaning uh, of the Jewish story, the modern Jewish story. Shoah, uh, the rebirth, the national rebirth of the Jewish people, the ingathering into Israel, uh, the transformation of exile into diaspora, which is uh, a consequence of the emergence of, of, the, of a strong Western diaspora. Uh, and so looking really at, uh, at the profound historic changes that have uh, happened almost simultaneously, this, this convergence of destruction, rebirth, uh, transformation of, of identity, of, of our, the way, of our relationship with, with the non-Jewish world, all of these extraordinary, uh, and, uh, extraordinary upheavals. And, uh, and I'm really trying to, to make sense of that, first of all, for myself, for understanding what my own Jewish journey has been. Uh, through the, through, through two centuries. And, uh, actually, uh, when I explained this book to a friend, he said, well, you can say two millennia. So yes, there's two millennia of Jewish life. And, uh, and really an attempt to try to, uh, point, uh, to give us some, some way of, of, of looking at the, the complexities 
that we're we're in, that we're caught in, uh, and uh, trying to get some clarity. Well, all I can say is thank you very much and, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing because I do think that it's a extremely valuable, uh, I suppose, to Jews everywhere, but particularly, uh, you know, in South Africa where the conversation is very fraught uh, on in terms of particularly the Palestinians and interfaith. And it's, it's good to have someone uh, who is meditating in, in a useful way uh, on these things. Uh, so, Yossi, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate uh, you, you coming on. Well, thank you, Benji. Really a pleasure to, to speak with you, and, and thank you for giving me a way to speak to uh, my brothers and sisters in South Africa. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. Yossi Klein Halevi there, uh, author of My Palestinian Neighbor and Like Dreamers, as well as a, a number of other interesting articles. Uh, you can check him out. He has a website, yossihalevi.com, uh, or Times of Israel, or just if you Google him, it will come up. Uh, well worth your time if you are wanting to delve into some uh, of the things that we've been talking about today. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Uh, thank you to Craig for pushing all the big red buttons. Vusi, uh, who does the sound, and uh, Mandy, who is our production on the side of the show. And thank you to all you uh, listeners for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We'll be back next week on the New Blue Review.